Hi, folks. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. You know, beyond a certain age, it's impossible to not sense the clock ticking, to not ask yourself if you're really making the best use of your time, if you're creating the life that you want. And you know, Mark, Growing Boulder is about realizing that it's never too late, but it is time to get going already. It's time to begin making the rest of your life the best of your life. And on today's show, two inspiring examples of the power of art to change lives. And of course, it takes persistence to create the life you want. And we've got the king of persistence today, a 60-something guy who holds one of the most amazing records records in sports, and he breaks it every year. And when was the last time you heard something encouraging about the American health care system? Well, you're going to hear it today from two of the top medical minds in the country. All that and more today on Growing Boulder. You know, when we were kids, all of us were artists. It was not only part of our DNA, it was part of the everyday curriculum in elementary school. But then we reached the age where they took the crayons away and we had to get serious about the so-called important stuff. Yeah, but here's what we're learning these days. Art is the important stuff. Being an artist really is in our DNA. Best of all, being artistic and creative is one of the very best things that we can do for our health and our longevity. And someone who's been working tirelessly for years to spread that good news is the director of the National Center for Creative Aging, Dr. Gay Hanna. Gay, how are you today? Fine. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. And indeed, we're getting our crayons back. (laughs) You know, thank you for your time. We know how busy you are. And before we talk about the power, the importance of creativity, let's talk for just a second about the brain itself, because I think most of us have been led to believe that it pretty much falls apart as we age. But that's a myth, isn't it? And a dangerous one. What is the truth about aging brains? Well, certainly, Dr. Gene Cohen wrote a seminal book, The Mature Mind, where he gathered research, and this research just came at the end of the 20th century that showed when the brain is stimulated throughout our lives that it grows, it creates dendrites, and dendrites are these marvelous Um, marvelous cells that are connectors that keep our brains engaged and strong. Um, So that's truly been documented as well as as we age both of our hemispheres, the right, which is usually very um, artful, and the left, which is usually very analytical, tend to merge because we have so much uh, life experience that they actually, both sides, work better as a whole. So the myth that our brains are shrinking, of course, disease can cause this, but aging is not a disease. And the brain is meant to grow and flourish. And many of us know of examples and ourselves can feel that we are empowered intellectually and emotionally as we grow older to do some of our best work and to be some of our best as a person. And case in point, perhaps, Gaya, there was a study recently from the Mayo Clinic that said that creating art may be even more effective at warding off cognitive decline than even exercise. Well, it's very interesting. And, of course, exercise, nutrition is so important. The friends that we have and the family is so important. But what is the power of creativity is because the very definition of creativity is creating something new of value. And that does not mean that we have to be a Michelangelo and create a a sculpture for all times or that we're a Jonas Salk and create the polio vaccine. It means that in our daily lives, how we go about living, whether we're cooking, rearranging our house, gardening, uh, doing handcrafts, woodwork, 
painting, drawing, dancing, sharing our cultures, that we are creating things new and of value to ourselves, to our families, to our communities where we live and work. So Gene Cohen, again, used to say there's big C creativity and there's little C creativity. And why painting and drawing and dancing and singing and writing make our brain stronger is because that little seed churns our mind, grows those dendrites, and helps us be engaged and be engaging and generative. Folks, we're talking with the national, uh, d- the director of the National Center for Creative Aging, Dr. Gay Hanna. She's an advocate for all of us as we age because, uh, you know, quality of life is really what makes life worth living longer. And, and she's trying to put the crayons back in, in, uh, in all of our hands. Um, you know, you talk about, uh, Gay, the liberation phase. I've heard you use that before. It sounds pretty exciting. What do you mean by that term? Well, the liberation phase, certainly Eric Erickson, the great uh, social psychologist, talks about at different stages of life, we reach critical junctures where we either can progress in the wholeness of our human being or uh, we step back and don't like to say step down, but we have to regroup to solve different Uh, stages and dilemmas. Uh, When we reach later life, we have a chance to really come at peace in terms of what we've done with our lives. Uh, We know we can't succeed in every area, but we can celebrate the successes we've had. We can come to terms with the losses that, that have been coming our way. And at that point, uh, we have a sense of liberation in terms of we can try new things. And the old saying goes, if not now, when? And the second part of that is, what can they do to me? So uh, truly, it's a now or never kind of activity. It is an entrepreneurial spirit that is so much a part of the American dream that keeps going throughout our lives. So again, uh, we are finding just uh, wonderful things happening because of this spirit of of independence, the spirit of um, uh, being able to be generative in perhaps different ways than we did when we were in a career and raising a family. We've never had decades of of more life, more life to live. And that's something I want to emphasize is we do talk about aging. Perhaps we should talk more about it as living and that we live fully, live fully until the end comes. And I think the arts and my colleagues believe that the arts really enable us to do that because the arts transform any environment that we're in and empowers us to be our best and to share our best with our loved ones and our community. I want to get a quick comment from you, Gay. Uh, we did a story on, on a woman who started this really interesting organization called Mind's Eye Poetry. And she uses poetry with people with advanced Alzheimer's disease. And she's getting amazing results. Nonverbal patients are talking. People who had forgotten things, they're, they're, they're grasping at pieces of their memory. So it's not a cure-all or anything, but there is no denying the power of creativity. It's true. It's really part of our DNA, and it's beyond being human beings. I think a recent article uh, found that species before Homo sapiens actually were created. They found artwork. They found flutes out of bones. And, of course, we still have the beautiful cave drawings that are 
you know, thousands and thousands of years old. We are aesthetic beings. That's how we know the world, by looking at it, by translating it, and by celebrating it through the arts. And they're finding out more about our brains again, how long-term memory is stirred. And poetry certainly has that power to bring back memories in the brain that uh, many would have thought were not there. Uh, poetry is powerful. Music is especially powerful because that is stored in a different part of the brain. So the arts being so intrinsic uh, stay with us and stay with us through conditions that are very debilitating to the rest of our being. You know, folks, there is no doubt that she has a big brain, and she is using it to our advantage. Uh, we all fear dementia, but there is a way to delay uh, the onset of it, uh, if not prevent it altogether, and that is getting involved in the arts in some manner. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Gay Hanna and her organization, what they are doing for you, please visit the National Center for Creative Aging at creativeaging.com. Org. Thanks so much, Dr. Hannah. We appreciate your time. All right. We now know how important art is. Coming up, three inspiring examples of the power of art, including one of the world's most famous actors. How painting helped him overcome the loss of loved ones. That's next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingbolder.com slash guide. Growing Boulder TV is back for its sixth season on public television, and it is bolder than ever. All new episodes begin airing weekly on WUCF-TV, Saturday mornings at 9.30, beginning September 19th. Time for a little truth, and here it is. When we were kids, we were all creative. We were all artists. But as adults, very few of us think we have any artistic talent at all. But we're wrong because we do. Let me give you a couple examples. First, the story of ageless art about a guy named Harold Gard who lives to paint. Or wait, does painting keep him alive? What we do know for sure is that the older he gets, the more provocative, the more collectible his work becomes. Curator Jeannie Dowas remembers the first time she saw Harold Gard's work. And it was very confrontational, very aggressive, and I was like, wow, who is this guy? He must be, what, 25, 30 out of, out of art school? He really knows what he's doing. He's really great. And they said, no, no, he's, uh, he's in his late 70s. And I said, no. Today, Harold Gard is 85 and his paintings are still turning heads. An eye-popping education in addition by subtraction. It's never a particular place. It's not a particular time. All of those elements are things which I tend to remove. It's what you leave out. Because at this point, I'd have no trouble making a blue sky. But I do have trouble figuring out what color should the sky be. Still let her read the sky, still let her read his paint, and still have an emotional jolt that goes beyond the accepted. He's got a lot of figures that look out at you, that confront you. Uh, he has a lot of angles. So, yeah, from a formal standpoint, um, he's doing a great job. Gard appreciates the attention and the affirmation, but says he's happiest when he's in his studio alone hanging out with his pals. I, I got Matisse looking over one shoulder, Picasso looking over the other, Jackson Pollock laughing at me, drunken son of a bitch that he was, yeah, all of that. I have all of that going. He also has conversations with his paintings. Damn it, would you talk to me today? I've been looking at you, I've been looking at you, and I'm not happy, and you're not happy. The painting, talk to me. Tell me, what is it that, that's needed here? And uh, then when I look at it enough and I say, 
no, no, nothing's needed, needed here. To guard, every painting, every composition is an internal struggle, a puzzle to solve, a juggling act to perform. How the canvas is split up, what is the relationship of mass to, uh, to a non-mass something in there? How well is the atmosphere holding up? Is there a hole in the painting? Is there a place where you come to rest where I don't want the eye to come to rest? At age 85, he's keenly aware that time is more precious than ever, but he refuses to spend less of it experimenting and taking chances. If I possibly uh, ever allowed the concept of having less time to experiment, I would just pack up everything because the reason I do that is still a combination of self-discovery and discovery about what paint and painting will do. And that's ongoing, that doesn't change. With every painting, Harold Gard destroys the stereotype of aging as a time of loss and regret. There are many, many people that are doing their finest work and their highest quality of work when they get into their 70s and 80s. We call this the liberation phase. If not now, when? Gard is the rare artist who is truly liberated. For him, it's not about the shows or the money or even pleasing the critics. It's about silencing the critic that lives inside. I'm always at that point where I look back and say, hell, if I did that five years ago, why am I not better now? If I did that 50 years ago, why am I not better now? If I did that a half hour ago, why am I not better now? Every work that's completed is a like a scar because the intention was to do something that far exceeded anything that's finally there. So even though I take pleasure in what I've done, I still have to feel my maybe my best work is still to come. Maybe, maybe it'll still happen. It is still happening. Gard is now in his 90s, still paints every day, is the subject of a second documentary film, and his work is not only better than ever, it is more collectible than ever. And we promised you two. The other is Miriam Paré, also a painter, and what she has had to overcome to pursue her passion is nothing short of amazing. And that's passion that's led her to a friendship with another painter who also happens to be one of the world's top actors. Miriam Pere was a young art student with a bright future when she was caught in the crossfire of gang violence while sitting in a car at a red light. When I was 20 years old, I was a victim of gun violence. I was shot in the back by an unknown assailant. Um, the assailant was never identified or caught, um, and the resulting gunshot wound uh, paralyzed me, and I became a quadriplegic. Unable to walk and with significant loss of function in her upper extremities, Miriam thought her art career was over before it began. But her creative talent was in her heart, not in her hands. She taught herself to paint with her mouth. I paint because I love it, I really do, and it's, it gives me purpose in my life and it's, it's cathartic. Now an accomplished professional fine artist, Miriam painted two portraits of Pierce Brosnan, her favorite actor, one as James Bond. Brosnan, an artist himself, saw the paintings and invited Miriam to his house. I'm a great fan of your, the Bond franchise, and you're my favorite Bond. And I'm not just saying that. Yeah, I'm so blown away that this is your work and that you do it in such a fashion. Like Miriam, Brosnan has used art to deal with great personal loss. My late wife, she uh, was, was taken by cancer, ovarian cancer, and my daughter. And um, I think when Cassie was, was, was alive and she was enduring the, the chemotherapy and everything, I, I got up one night and I had bought all these canvases and paints and they had lain there dormant, and I started painting. And the paint, I went to the painting to express pain, emotions, to put down the agitation of the heart, and out came color. Now, no matter where he is, Brosnan keeps his paints nearby. When I'm away on location, and being on location sounds fun, but you're away from your family, you're away from your children, your wife, uh, so I set up studios wherever I am, and uh, I paint. 
It was a short meeting that will have a lasting effect on both Miriam Pere and Pierce Brosnan, two kindred spirits whose passion for art has helped them both recover from some very dark days. We only met 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, but already the inspiration is there. Yes, because it's in your work, what you, what you do. I, I, I can't do what you do. I, I can't do this. It was a joy to meet with him in his home and talk artist to artist. Well, you can watch the videos behind both of those stories at growingbolder.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our free weekly e-newsletter, The GB Insider. He is the true marathon man. How a determination to finish one marathon has led to one of the most amazing streaks in sports. The power of persistence next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. The global anti-aging market is now approaching about $200 billion every year. Ageism has become a profitable business model. Countless companies are raising corporate profits by lowering our self-esteem. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to play upon our age-related fears and insecurities, to cultivate dissatisfaction and self-hate. They need us to believe that wrinkles, gray hair, age spots, and crepey skin depreciate us like a beat-up old car that's an embarrassment to the entire neighborhood. They want me to believe that if only I would pay them to take hair from another part of my body and transplant it onto my head, I could be the lead singer in a rock band and women, jobs, and happiness would all be mine. Self-acceptance is their enemy and the ruination of their business. They will stop at nothing to make us dissatisfied with ourselves through sophisticated ageist advertising. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look our best, but we have to learn to be comfortable in our own skin, even as it changes. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. And I think most of us know somebody somewhere who's made it their goal to qualify for something cool like the Boston Marathon. And then, as tough as that is, to actually finish the marathon, well, that can be another thing. But imagine finishing it 47 times in a row. Yeah, it's unthinkable, but it has happened. In fact, our next guest has run in every Boston Marathon since 1968. It's not only a Boston Marathon record, it is the longest consecutive streak for any marathon on the planet. Let's welcome the true marathon man, Mr. Ben Beach. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, let, let's go back to the beginning because you ran your first marathon when you were a freshman at Harvard. You are now 65. At what point did the streak become something that you thought about, something that you cared about? Well, it's hard to pin that down. Uh, I'm often asked that. I would say it was probably about 10 years into it that I, I thought in those terms. And there's a guy out there who had started in 1967, the year before I did, and I was unaware of him until I was up around, I don't know, 25 or so. Uh, he finally uh, gave it up about two or three years ago because of injuries. Um, so he was always out there. And, Ben, when people would tell you that, hey, do you realize you got this amazing streak going? Were you going like, oh, good Lord, don't let this be. I don't want to have to do this every year. Do you feel trapped now? By the, by the... Well, trapped is a bit of a strong word, but you are sort of on to something there in that I do feel pressure, I guess. Um, I want to do it. It's, though people always ask me about it, it's something that now is very special to me. And so it, I just am intent on keeping it going as long as I can. 
You know, over 47 consecutive marathons, obviously, there's been, uh, you know, some that stand out for better or for worse. And, and you know, speaking of the latter, let's go back to 2013, if we can. You were struggling in the Boston Marathon, bad calf pain, well off your time, 21 miles into the race when those bombs exploded. Had you been on your goal pace, might you and your family have even been at the finish line during the explosion? Uh, in fact, yes. And... We had never had tickets to the finish area before, um, that being my wife and family members, who don't always come up for the thing. Uh, but that year, because it was the year that I was going to have sole possession of the record, uh, which, by the way, is now up to 48, um, not 47, uh, so they were going to be there. We had gotten tickets, and because I was having problems with my calf, they had delayed their trip to the downtown area. So in a sense, I was lucky to have had that happen to me. And uh, my brother happened to be down there and uh, was very close to the explosion. And so he, but he was okay. An incredible thing to have gone through, Ben. And I want to turn to like better times. I I can't get over this 48 in a row of anything to me is mind boggling because especially with running, I mean, injuries are common and you could, who knows, you could end up with have the flu that week or a cold. How have you been able to do this 48 years in a row? Well, certainly have to be lucky uh, because those things can arise or something can happen at work or you have a family member who's got a problem and and needs your attention. Uh, So besides the luck, I'm just sort of a methodical person. And when I start to feel something uh, not going well in my hamstring or an Achilles, I usually take a break. I do a lot of cross training and, and I get up there on Saturday from Maryland, so I'm not subject to some sort of transportation. Well, I guess that could still happen. There was one year when the bus broke down on the way out to Hopkinton, but there are a lot of buses going out, and so another one came along and, and absorbed the people on our bus. So anyway, I'm, I'm amazed that something hasn't gotten me, and, and maybe some maybe some year one of those things is going to happen. Well, you are obviously, uh, you, you know, a guy with great genetics and, and a great plan to, to get to the starting line each and every year. And we should note that, you know, you just don't run and finish. You have 17, unless I'm wrong with that number as well, sub-240 finishes, and that is smoking fast. That said, as you get older, you get slower. And I know there's a 71-year-old guy out there who is one year behind your streak, but he has finished in more than seven hours. What do you think, as the record holder, should there be a time limit on finishing in order for it to count in the streak? Well, that's a tough question, and it it gets tougher because I've gotten very much slower. I've got this movement disorder called dystonia, which uh, is basically my brain sending a signal to my left hamstring to contract when it should be extending. So if you look at me run now, you'll say, that guy's got a serious problem and he should, he should be getting into a new sport or, or not any sport at all. Um, so I just sort of hobble along. My training is cut way back, and, um, and that's, why I do, that's one reason I do a whole lot of cross-training biking and swimming and all that. Anyway, to answer your question, I, I, I guess maybe there should be some sort of limit, but it's so hard for, for me to judge other people on that, and I sort of just look to the Boston Athletic Association who puts on the race to make those judgments. Uh, they had to make a tough call when most of us with long streaks didn't get to the finish the year of the bombing, and they ultimately decided that since we start later than most runners and and were told to stop, that they couldn't just decide that our streaks were over. So basically, I looked to them to make the call on that. Two two things, Ben, in our last minute. One, how old are you? And number two, what what can you leave us with? What's the moral of the Ben Beach story? What can we learn from you? <laughs> That's a lot of pressure there. Uh, I turned 66 a couple weeks ago, and 
I, I guess the thing that I take from all this is just the the importance of all the people involved in this race, the volunteers, the fans, my friends, my family, all of whom are so supportive and enthusiastic. And obviously anybody who's running an event like this has got to reach into himself to, to keep going and to deal with obstacles that arise. But but a lot of what what keeps you going is all those people who are out there and and helping you drive forward and so i look to them and and i think you have to derive support from people like that if you're going to do something like this that is a fabulous answer and folks that's why we wanted to get ben beach on because you know when you think about it life uh, is pretty much like a, a marathon. A marathon could be a metaphor for life, and you have to dig deep into yourself to figure out a way to keep going no matter what your challenges are. The inspirational Ben Beach proving for 48 consecutive years and still counting the power of persistence. Thanks, Ben. Dr. Robert Masson told us earlier in this program that there is very positive changes underway in the American health care system. If you need even more proof, we got it. That's coming up on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton. And, you know, there is no question that this is a time of great change in our healthcare system. And one of the most and encouraging changes of all is the focus on prevention. Doctors and hospitals now embracing their role in providing us the tools, the knowledge, the motivation to make the kind of lifestyle changes that can actually keep us from needing their services. Imagine that. Let's find out more as we welcome Dr. Deborah German. Hey, Dr. German, how are you today? Mark, I'm just fine. Thank you. Well, we certainly appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. There really is a, a, been a big shift over the years in terms of not only understanding the importance of lifestyle and overall health, but actually teaching it in medical school. And I know that you're a graduate of Harvard Medical School. How much has this uh, this focus on lifestyle modification and just wellness in general changed over the years? Oh, it's changed enormously. When I went to medical school, it was all about studying disease. And now we have to study disease, of course, because we want to take care of our patients when they get sick. But it's equally, if not more important for our students to really understand health and wellness so that as they meet with their patients, they can advise and guide them to prevent the diseases that my generation learned so much about. Man, it is such good news to hear it coming from someone like you. You know, when you consider all that you've accomplished at the UCF College of Medicine, it really is amazing that you have time for anything other than work. How do you personally fit health into your everyday life, Dean? Well, I, I, every day. You have to do it every day. And really, it has to be something you enjoy. I've Over the years, my exercise routine has changed, and it's changed with my lifestyle. Um, and right now, I, I do a lot of walking. And I get up every morning at 5.30, and I do at least an hour of walking. And it's wonderful. You know, in Florida, we have to be careful of the sun. So if you walk that early in the morning, you don't have to wear sunscreen because the sun's not out yet. <laughs> And um, it's it's a really healthy way to start your day. You know, sometimes people say we we have to pay myself before I get into the day, and that's how I feel about it. I pay myself first thing in the morning, and then I feel good all day. And you obviously are leading by example, as we mentioned. Tell us a little bit about because I know you've got this this one k a day kind of an informal program at the UCF College of Medicine. What's that about? Well, when we designed and built our medical college building, we built it with wide hallways that look out on the green and, and across an expanse of land. And 
you know, I was new to Florida, but I realized that even though Florida is beautiful and the weather's beautiful, there are times during the year when it's too rainy or too hot to be outside, and especially in the middle of the day. So what we've done is we've uh, arranged it so that if you start at one end of our building and you walk the expanse, and then go upstairs and then walk the expanse on the next floor and then upstairs and walk the expanse on the next floor all the way to the top and then crisscross walking, doing the same thing coming down. That's 1K. And we started a program. We, when we orient our new employees, we talk about it 1K a day. It takes about 10 minutes, 10 or depending on how fast you go, 10 or 15 minutes. And it's great because you've walked a K, you have um, walked up and down stairs, and it can be done in a short time. And you know, anyone who's working in the college who has a, a 10 or 15 minute break in what they do can get a little exercise in the middle of the day. And we want to make sure that our team knows that the leadership of the college is supportive of that. Well, you know, that's fabulous. Uh, The mission, folks, if you don't know about it, at UCF is to become the nation's premier 21st century college of medicine and all that that entails, education, research, patient care. Uh, Dean German, how important is it in your estimation that doctors actually practice what they preach when it comes to lifestyle? Well, it's extremely important. First, they have to know the challenges that their patients face. So if a doctor doesn't try to take care of him or herself, then they they don't they don't have credibility and they really can't understand the issues that patients face. The reality is doctors are people, and so we face the same challenges that everyone else does in in making ourselves fit. And I have to tell you, every morning at 5:30 when my alarm rings, I think, oh, do I have to get out of bed? But I force myself to do it, and I think we need to inspire our patients, and we can only do that if we can learn to inspire ourselves. Folks, we're talking with Dr. Deborah German, who is an esteemed health expert and administrator, uh, the dean of the UCF College of Medicine. And Dr. German, I, I know you're aware of this. One recent poll found that people over 50 actually fear Alzheimer's and dementia more than cancer and heart disease these days. Some studies suggest that regular exercise can help delay, if not present, uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, have you found, do you believe, that there are mental benefits to regular exercise? A hundred percent, yes. I mean, if you think about it, what exercise does is it forces your body to pump blood effectively and efficiently throughout the whole body. When we're sitting, there's less blood flow through our skin and to our extremities. When you get out there and you exercise, the blood is flowing everywhere, including the brain. So it allows nutrients to feed parts of the body that are less essential when we're sedentary. So I think that kind of exercise enhances everything, including brain function. You know, there are many out there who think that it's too late to transform their health uh, uh, and use that as an excuse, really, to keep from having to get off the couch. And they hear from us all the time on Growing Boulder that it is never too late. What do you say? uh, When is it too late? Uh, When is it not worth trying to get up and get moving? It is never too late. I have an 87-year-old dad, and he is constantly thinking of new ways to exercise. My two-and-a-half-year-old grandson is his newest favorite exercise tool. He gets down on the floor with him. He plays catch with him. He's teaching him to golf. And, you know, he does these things uh, because they're a joy. And that's the thing. I think when you get older... You have to remind yourself that you have to find joy in movement. And whatever brings you joy, you should do it. You know, that is a fabulous takeaway, folks. And if you're looking for some good news, some uh, source of optimism in healthcare in general, uh, you've just heard it from Dr. Deborah German. She is the founding dean of the UCF College of Medicine, proving that exercise is great medicine. Uh, Thanks so much for your time, Dr. German, and thanks for all you're doing there at UCF. Coming up, combining personal passion and the power of the Internet to build a brand. That's next on Growing Boulder. 
Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. When we know with certainty that we have more yesterdays than tomorrows, something important happens, or at least it should. We need to be aware of our mortality, but not be bummed out by it. We need to hear the clock ticking, but not be overwhelmed by the sound. We have to switch off the autopilot that controls many of our day-to-day lives. We have to step back and ask ourselves what's important, what really matters. And then we have to pursue that and forget the rest. We learn this lesson every time we talk to someone who has faced a major life-threatening challenge and from the very old on their deathbed. At some point, we all come to realize the value of every moment. Hopefully, we learn it while we can still do something about it because the clock is ticking for all of us. Life is precious. Relationships are priceless. What do you care about? Pursue that. Seize the moment. Carpe the hell out of this diem. Well, this is Growing Boulder with Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton. And no matter what your age, this is an exciting time to be alive, especially if you're a content producer. And when you get right down to it, I think all of us are. You know, Bill, you're right about that. And the Internet has really taken down all the walls, eliminated all the barriers. The gatekeepers are now gone. Hallelujah. And if you have a voice, if you have a passion, you can find an audience. And that is exactly what our next guest has done. She's the co-founder of the blog Tina and Hugh, which is an interesting combination of many things, which no doubt describes Pamela Quigley herself. Let's find out what she's been up to and maybe more importantly, where she's headed. Hello, Pamela. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? We're doing wonderful. And are we right that Patina and Hughes seems to be a combination of your original content and an aggregation of the things that you love? How do you describe it? Yes, that's the perfect, actually perfect description. It started out as a conversation between me and my one of my closest girlfriends, and it was a long-distance conversation. We had been living on Maui for many, many years together. We would share design and style ideas, and we moved states apart, and we kept that dialogue going. And people would ask us, what we think about different dresses or handbags, what do you think about this or that, and we decided to extend our own personal conversation with one another out to a larger audience. So we call it Conversations for a Well-Designed Life. So with that kind of a, a, a title, you guys are sort of like personal stylists sharing all the cool things you come across that you love because, you know, a lot of us don't have time to find all those things ourselves. It's really true. We do. We all get so busy, and I think as a designer, visual people, art, artists, designers, I think we're naturally wired to vet things out from our, you know, from all the imagery that we're inundated with and from all of the, um, all the things we see, all the ads, all the things we see on the Internet. And, of course, we all have our favorite designers or our favorite artists that we follow. And so I think um, you could sort of cultivate your own interests and tastes over time just as a designer, and that infuses into your own design work. And along the way, it infuses how you or informs how you dress, how you think about style for yourself. Uh, it, it really is fabulous, folks. We're talking with Pamela Quigley, one of the co-founders of Patina and Hue, and and they do that. They they, they curate, if you will, uh, a lot of the coolest trends uh, that are timeless and, and classic. And to some extent, Pamela, uh, you're not only helping women forty plus, but you also share inspirational stories of women forty plus. To some extent, is that your mission? You know, it's fully the mission because we're not really, although we, all, we do love fashion and we love high design and high fashion, it's not something that we sit around and think about. Neither of us work in that industry, in the fashion industry, but we work in the desi- we're in the design world. So, yeah, we think about what do real women talk about? What do we talk about when we go to lunch? And what do we, what do we talk about 
with our friends when we get together and how do we you know we wanted we wanted people to be included in that and so we all have so many inspirational women in our lives inspirational people but in this particular case uh, on the blog we're talking about inspirational women who are making a difference and we want to share those stories with other women and, you know, you mentioned women a lot, and mostly it is, but I've also seen stories on men who are maybe over mm-hmm. 40, 50, 60, even 70, mm-hmm. who are like reinventing themselves, or maybe more accurately, just, just people going through the process of trying to find our true selves at different ages. So what, what kind of tips can you give us? What have you learned through your experiences starting the blog? How do we reinvent ourselves? Oh, my gosh, that is a huge and brilliant question. I think... In order to truly reinvent ourselves, we have to, and this is probably common sense, but we have to assess where we are at in our lives right now and then look at the things that have worked for us and the things that haven't worked for us. And one of the things I want to say is that I think people are too hard on themselves, and I think they don't stop and look at all the things they've created, how far they've come, the successes they've had. I think culturally we tend to focus on our failures or our shortcomings. And I think people just need to love themselves a lot more than they do. And it's a, it creates a foundation and a starting point where they can really start to move forward and maybe move into the, what I hope is their best years ever. Give us some tips because we've got a lot of female listeners out there. Actually, 45 to 65 is our sweet spot. And, and I'll be honest with you, Pamela, 15 or 20 years ago, I actually loved to shop for my wife, but mm-hmm. it's become a very difficult challenge. Uh, and I don't know if it's me or, or her, but I now recognize the challenge of looking fashionable and youthful, but not silly. And of course, nobody wants to dress or look like an old lady. What is the key for the 40 plus, the 50 plus woman when it comes to fashion? Oh my gosh. Well, and then you kind of hit upon the point like, you know, you want to you would like to shop for her also, and I think a lot of men struggle with that. You know, what do they buy for their mom, their sister, their wives, their daughters, that kind of thing. I think that we have cultural I know that we have these culturally informed little voices that say my arms are too big to wear sleeveless. My hips are too wide to wear a tunic or whatever, you know. And uh, I think what we need to do is recognize there are so many cuts and styles out there today. I mean, it used to be when bell-bottoms were in, bell-bottoms were in. Now you've got every cut of jean on the planet out there that is, you know, and you just need to be patient with yourself and find a brand that works for you. Um, And I think that going for trying to stay away from trendy trendy stuff i do love trends and i we do i talk about trend in terms of color and cut uh in terms of pattern but and i do love it but i think that the 45 to, well actually you can see people in everything but i think if you're trying to cultivate a sense of style you should start with think about starting with a foundation of of solids and basics and then build on that bring print and pattern in with scarves, bring pops of color in with handbags, that kind of thing. Well, folks, I hope you see why we like Pamela Quigley so much. She's got great ideas. She's very easy to talk to. She's a great storyteller, and she's got practical tips that we can all use just, you know, to spice up our lives a little bit. And we are proud to mention that she is now blogging for Growing Boulder, so you can keep up with all things from Pamela Quigley and her blog, patinaandhugh.growingbolder.com. Check it out there. Follow her, and, hey, let's put a little spice in all of our lives. Thanks, Pamela.
And if you haven't already, check out Growing Boulder TV on public television stations around the country. And we invite you to subscribe to our one-of-a-kind Growing Boulder magazine, packed with inspiring stories, tips, tools, everything you need to help make the rest of your life the best of your life. Yeah, you know what? It's also the perfect gift for anyone you know who needs a little inspiration to get off the couch and get into life. Just go to growingbolder.com slash subscribe, where you can also sign up for our free newsletter. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook as well. Folks, we will see you next time right here. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming rope, using ideas as my map. Said I, proud neath heated brow. Ah, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Half right prejudice leap before rip down all hate I scream. Lies that life is black and white. Spoke from my skull, I dream. Musketeers, foundation deep somehow. Oh, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. In a soldier's stance, I aim my hand at the mongrel dogs who teach. Fearing not, I'd become my enemy in the instant.